1: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. This is Jay Kokorowski. We got Owen Reese, and joining us—it's part of our position previews again on the podcast. We had Zach Halpern on last week to talk tight ends and safeties. Big thanks to him from Wozn to stop on. And today we have his tag team partner on the swing, which is a great podcast for Wisconsin basketball. Of course, he's from the Athletic. You can also buy the book. 100 things Wisconsin fans should know and do before they die. You got Jesse Temple on the line. Jesse man, how you doing on this Tuesday evening?
0: Doing well. Thanks so much for having me on tonight, guys.
1: Appreciate you coming on and uh, I know you you know we're getting getting—we're recording on Tuesday night. Uh we'll probably drop this later this week after pro day, but you know and and you you know we'll be there at pro day tomorrow. Uh and that'll be fun, but you know spring football starts on March 26th and the running backs You know, we're going to go through running backs, fullbacks and and cornerbacks today. And we appreciate your expertise and coming on and talking about those positions. And I mean, with running backs right off the bat, talking Jonathan Taylor, really just, I guess, you know, coming off such a big year and Doak Walker award winner, uh, I guess what, you know, I know it's just spring ball and it's way too early, but I guess in your opinion and with the changes in the offensive line even a quarterback now what should be expected of him you know heading into 2019
0: well if he's healthy I don't see any reason why he can't challenge for 2,000 yards rushing again while averaging more than six yards per carry as a freshman he averaged six and a half yards and somehow was even better last year I didn't know if it was possible but he averaged 7.1 yards and I think he's going to be a guy that carries the ball 300 times this year again that's assuming he's healthy and you know, running backs coach John Settle told told me before that the number one ball carrier at Wisconsin should always get 20 to 25 touches a game. I know that ideally Settle had hoped last season that some of Taylor's touches might have come in the passing game to prevent some of the wear and tear of running between the tackles, but he only caught eight passes for 60 yards. So I, I think maybe 2,000 yards, I, I don't even know if that's too high of an expectation based on what he did. Now, Paul Chris said last year that, Taylor could be as good as he was as a freshman and not necessarily get the statistics. And I think that's possible too. You mentioned there's going to be a revamped offensive line. I still think it's going to be a, a very good offensive line may not have the sports illustrated cover going into the season, but uh, these are guys that have experience and people are going to get to know him pretty quick. And I would also say that even with a number of players capable of spelling Taylor, he's the go-to guy. So yeah, there's going to be some combination of Garrett Groschek, Nakia Watson Maybe Julius Davis, maybe Bradrick Shaw. We don't yet know, but Taylor averaged 23.6 carries a game last year, and Taiwan Deal, who was the number two back, he averaged 6.8 carries, and then Groshek averaged five. So I think that should give you a good sense of of what to expect out of Taylor in terms of how many touches he gets, and if he gets that many, I think he's going to be hard to stop. Obviously, it'll help if they have a passing game to complement him, but they didn't really have a consistent passing game last year to compliment him, and look what he did. He was the Doke Walker winner, as you said, as the best running back in the country.
2: Jesse, do you think with someone like Taylor, uh, who has such a heavy workload, do you think that uh, it would necessarily be out of the question for him to kind of get the, uh, the classic Adrian Peterson preseason treatment where he I mean he's active in spring and participates in practice but probably won't get a ton of live reps to try to, try to keep down that, that workload heading into the summer?
0: Oh, I think that's totally fair. I mean, let's be honest. The best-case scenario is that Taylor is healthy when spring practice is over. He has nothing to prove. I mean, the the pass-catching angle was a big talking point last season because he spent the first 15 minutes or so of every practice working with Paul Christ in that area. And I know there's no question that Jonathan wants to be the most complete back he can be. But I see Garrett Groshek and Nikia and Watson earning the bulk of the reps, and, and I, I you know, talked to John Settle recently about that for a, a story on Nakia, which I think we're going to get into a little bit. So to me, just, yeah, make sure he's healthy. I mean, I don't know how much better he's going to get in the spring, but he does have obviously another off season in the program to get stronger, to learn everything he needs to learn. But, you know, we're talking about a pretty special guy I and mean, the, the best running back in the country. So, There's really no reason for him to do much. And you you have a chance to get some of these other guys who can help him more experience and more reps. I know it's going to be beneficial for everybody.
2: Do you think, obviously, and obviously we're a ways out here, but do you think there's any chance that this is not his last season in Madison? I mean, I think conventional wisdom would dictate that, uh, you know, with someone who's likely, at at the very worst, I think, if he continues his production of second-round draft choice or or something – even higher than that with being the first person that'll be within some legitimate striking distance of, of the NCAA rushing record since Donnell Pumphrey or, or, um, you know, whether or not he could legitimately have a chance to beat uh, Ron Dane's actual NCAA college rushing record. Uh, do you think that there's any opportunity any possibility that um, 2019 may not be his last year in Madison, despite probably what will be in his best interest to, to go pro?
0: I really have a difficult time believing that Taylor would return for a senior season, given all the individual accolades he's had, his potential NFL draft stock, as you said, and the number of carries he's likely going to take through three years of college. We know he's an incredibly intelligent student-athlete, we know he values academics, and that he strongly considered attending Harvard to play football and, and study astrophysics, but the smart decision, as you said, would be to leave school and begin building a professional career while cashing in on your talent. because. He's going to have years to come back and earn his college degree if that's something he truly desires. But the clock is ticking on your career, especially at running back, which we know when they do these studies, the the average lifespan of a running back in the NFL is somewhere around three years. And so if he carries around 300 times this year, which is basically what he's averaged, he carried 299 as a freshman, 307 times last year. That's 900 carries by the end of your junior season. That's a lot of tread on a player. Uh, at a position with a short shelf life but you know i think it is interesting if he does put together one of these amazing years again that he's going to be within reach of of all these records you know ron dane carried 1220 times in his college career which would be an fbs record if the ncaa included both stats i i know that's (laughs) a, a head scratcher for for all of us and and so taylor could break that he could break all sorts of records but I just don't know how you turn down an opportunity to be a first or a second round draft pick. I mean, the 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 last similar scenario, which isn't, I guess, all that similar, but Monty Ball after the amazing 2011 season that he had, you know, he he thought he was going to be maybe a third round pick, and so he came back because he felt he was better than that. Or at least, you know, that's what he said when he when he announced his return, and he wound up, I believe, being a second round pick. But Taylor, I, I feel like, is on a different level here in terms of what he's doing so that's which is hard to say because Ball had 83 touchdowns which was the fbs record and you know was a heisman finalist but uh i guess a little bit different skill set so i would i would be inclined to think he would leave because uh, of everything that i mentioned
1: we're here with jesse temple from the athletic here on bucky's fifth podcast. And we, we taught, you met, you referenced it earlier, uh, your article recently earlier this month on Nakia Watson, the rising red shirt, freshman running back and going beyond Taylor. And your article mentioned just, you talked to running backs coach, John settle about just the running back position and Nakia and his development. And there are two, departures of two contributing seniors with Taiwan deal with Chris James, uh, who will likely receive those snaps in the spring, uh, in the, and who could be the contenders to complement Taylor moving forward? And you have a Gary. You mentioned Garrett Rosick. Um I mean, there's Watson, obviously. Bradrick Shaw. Uh, who do you think will receive the snaps in the spring, and who are those contenders to complement, you know, J, you know, Jonathan Taylor moving forward?
0: Well, Settle told me that the guys that should earn the bulk of the snaps are going to be Nakia and Garrett. Uh, and when I asked him about about Bradrick Shaw, who we know has been coming back from the ACL injury he suffered at the end of the 2017 season, he said, uh, quote, he's kind of struggled with an injury that keeps popping up here and there, end quote. So I don't know necessarily what that means or what specific injury, but I know that the hope is that Bradrick would be back. But I'm, I'm at this point, I'm not sure – what he will contribute in the spring. And, of course, I, there is incoming freshman Julius Davis, but he's not going to be there in spring. So I think that it's going to be a great opportunity for Nakia. And John was very honest. The, one, the thing I like most in talking uh, to John Settle is that he's going to shoot you straight. And, you know, when he's – the player's not playing well, he will tell you. And when he thinks they have a chance to be good, he'll tell you. And, and he was really, really high on Nakia – coming out of high school. I remember talking to him last spring before Nakia had even come on campus, just kind of running down, well, who, who could potentially be guys that complement Jonathan Taylor? And he brought up Nakia without me asking him as a potential option as a number two running back. And the things that he liked so much, this was a guy who played high-level Texas high school football. He led his team to the, the state semis, I believe. And so he felt like this is a guy who's got a really high IQ. He's going to be able to learn very quickly, and he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. But what you see on tape doesn't necessarily always translate in practice. And I I think it was pretty clear early in fall camp to settle that Watson was going to need more time, which is perfectly fine. I mean, we're talking about 18-year-old kids, really, who um, are are just new to college. And so there's the speed of the game. There's understanding terminology. I remember um, one time during fall camp that was open to the media after camp – John stayed after to work with Nakia on simply taking a handoff and following reads, like proper footwork, following the right tracks. Um, It was Jack Cohn handing the ball off to Nakia. And it was just like, this is fairly rudimentary, but it gives you a sense of Nakia has a lot to learn. And so I'll give Nakia credit. I thought in talking to him, he, he handled it very well. You know, he saw the bigger picture. Yeah, every freshman would love to play right away. But taking a redshirt year isn't the worst thing in the world. And I think he used the year to get better. And Settle told me that he really felt like Nakia made a big jump during bull prep in December, which is a time when those young guys have an opportunity to practice a lot because the veterans don't need to practice and they can finally get some rest. And that was an opportunity for them to go like full bore scrimmage. It's not a situation where you're just thudding up the running back. And Settle told me that Nakia was lowering his pads and really going after people and knocking them over. And so that was a moment to him where it was like, oh. This could be a really good spring for Nakia. So, I think all the the accolades that he had in high school and and the the reason John was settle was high on him last spring. uh, You're going to see more of that this year. So, you know, I think he could potentially be the number two guy. Garrett Groshek could too, but he's that third down back. He can catch passes, he can pass protect, and he's going to get his fair share of carries. And I mean, if I had to guess, that would be my top three right now. But again, we don't know the status of Bradrick Shaw. We also don't know what young guys they're going to trot out there because in spring ball they always rotate and switch positions around. And, and Settle did tell me that you know they would evaluate a couple of young guys at tailback, and then Julius Davis is sort of the wild card because we won't see him till fall camp.
1: And those that are blocking normally for the tailbacks, for the running backs, the fullbacks <clears throat> gone is Alec Ingold, the Swiss Army knife, the versatile. Fullback for Wisconsin. Fullback city will continue though for Wisconsin. There's Mason Stocky, there's John Chanel, uh, and and others. Um, how big is it to fill Ingold's shoes in this offense? Uh, but then is it also you know you know Stocky and Chanel's jobs to take a hold of in the spring, the springboard into the fall before a guy and not putting too much pressure on him, but like a Quan Easterling who appears to be a fullback, but it's going to be a true freshman. Uh, heading into fall camp, uh, is it there? Is it Stocky and Chanel's jobs? You know, is it there bit, is it there is this their chance? I guess to to really take hold of the position heading into next year.
0: Yeah, I would think so. Alec Ingold, as you said, kind of that Swiss Army knife could do a lot of different things, and came in as a linebacker, played running back, played fullback. It seemed like every couple times he touched the ball, he was scoring a touchdown. But I think they're well positioned with Mason Stocky. That was a really good find for them because they flipped him last fall, and very quickly he became. Uh, somebody who was in the two deep. And I thought his ability was – obviously there's not a ton of opportunities for fullbacks, especially backup fullbacks, but I thought his ability was on display in the Pinstripe Bowl. There was a sequence where he blocked two Miami defenders near the line of scrimmage and completely freed up Jonathan Taylor for an 18-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. Um, And so to me, he's going to be the number one fullback going into spring. And I'm intrigued with John Chanel because this is a guy who – Completely dominated in Grantsburg, and now his brother Leo is an early enrollee as well as an inside linebacker. And apparently, he, John earned a scholarship this offseason, which says a lot because he came in as a preferred walk on and ultimately exceeded that four game threshold to, to, you know, he actually contributed on special teams. And so he's very strong, and Wisconsin just seems to find the next fullback in line. So Quan Easterling, too, it's just not very often that Wisconsin's going to offer a full on scholarship to somebody to come in and play fullback. So I think that speaks to what they think of him. But I don't think the fullback position is going to be an issue for this group at all. It may take a little time for them to get to the level of an Alec Ingold, But Alec's pretty special. There was a reason he was the only fullback invited to the NFL combine. I think he's going to have a chance to make some teams 53-man roster when it's all said and done.
2: All right, Jesse, let's jump to the other side of the ball for just a second. I think, uh, a lot of Badger fans really have a good idea what's coming in the run game uh, from Wisconsin, but probably not so much in the secondary. I know a position of strength a couple of years ago that really fought a lot of injuries and and some attrition. Uh, it's a bit of an odd situation for the the entire secondary outside of Dakota, but specifically the cornerbacks. They didn't really lose anybody. Uh, there were no seniors last year at the position, and true and truthfully, there aren't any true position or true seniors at the position again uh this year i think what are your expectations uh for the group and then and who do you uh maybe see as someone that could really stick out uh in spring and really kind of take a spot uh, i guess if you had to to take a guess
0: i think this group's going to be excellent and i would say that the secondary as a whole should be the strength of the defense but you've got six different cornerbacks that started at least one game for the, the first time in their college careers last year Dan hicks obviously was a a a stalwart. He had 11 starts and Rashad Wild Goose came on. He had seven starts. Cesar Williams and Daron Harrell had five. Madison Cohn had two. And, and even Dante Burton got one start. So to me, I think this is going to be a really good group. Um, and because there's so many players, you know, Jim Leonard has, has shown before that he's not afraid to, to rotate guys, to try and find good combinations. I think all those guys are going to contribute in some way. I mean, Cohn probably remains the top nickel corner for Wisconsin, but Burton can play that role as well. And so I, I just I, – I think it's going to be a really good year for the cornerbacks. And in terms of who could stick out in the spring, I guess I'll go for a couple wild cards just because they're younger guys and, and have room to grow. I'm interested to see what guys like Daron Harrell and Dante Burton do because at this time last year, uh, Deron was just making the transition from wide receiver to cornerback. He's got length and athleticism. I feel like he has a high upside – Considering he's only played the position for one year, and, and Dante Burton to me is another exciting player because he was an early, early enrollee last spring and he only played in four games, which means he retained the redshirt. But he did get a start, and so I think you know, I think those guys have room to grow. But I, I feel like the the starting unit that we saw last year will probably remain the same. Um, but the good news is, if there is injury, if if you know that if anyone gets hurt. There shouldn't be much of a drop off, if any.
1: You mentioned Jesse too when it co- about this this position group, the secondary becoming a, a strength of the defense. What needs to happen for maybe the cornerbacks in particular to become a strength of this defensive unit? Uh, whether it's competition helping build others up, like yeah, you know, I I know Owen thinks Deron Harrell could stick out the most of spring. I, I like. Rashad Wild Goose I thought he stepped up huge uh Cesar Williams did I think towards the end too uh but I I really like Wild Goose and how he stepped up as a true freshman but is it the competition that makes the the this you know this become a strength of the defense or or what needs to happen for that to to happen
0: I think it is the competition because people know if you don't play well if you don't perform well in practice there are other guys who can replace you and Jim Leonard sent a pretty clear message last fall with the Dante Carrier-Williams situation. It's a guy that everybody thought was going to be a starter and, and didn't bring it in practice and all of a sudden uh, dropped down when, when Jim started putting in his first group. So, to me, that's number one. I mean, it, that always makes a group better, but just from an on-field perspective, if if this can become the type of group that not only makes quarterbacks pay for mistakes, but makes it difficult for receivers to gain separation, that's going to be really hard to deal with. I know that You know, sometimes interception numbers aren't necessarily indicative of what happens out there. Safeties get interceptions, linebackers get interceptions, but the corners only accounted for four interceptions last season. So I think if they can make more game-changing plays, that would help. But this is a really good group. Wild Goose led the team with seven pass breakups and, and as I said, didn't even play at the start of the year. And as as you said, I thought Williams was solid. And and so I think this is going to be a really good unit in, in the secondary as a whole. So last year it's always funny like every year there are different storylines and last year it's well is this going to be the you know the weakness the weak link in the defense because the front seven is going to be so good and you have all these linebackers and now it's uh you've got to replace three linebackers you have to rely on the back end but i think they're prepared for it and so i would expect them to be one of the better cornerback groups in the big 10 quite honestly
2: um i guess maybe playing devil's advocate a bit um of of this optimism, do you think, or what concerns do you have uh, with the cornerbacks? I mean, there were times last year where where penalties were a bit of an issue. Um, Rashad Wildgoose and Fayon Hicks, in particular, got to be a bit grabby uh, at times. Do you think that was more representative of their inexperience and and kind of growing pains, or do you, uh, maybe have concerns that that's something that that moving forward? I know Nick Nelson got away with quite a bit of, of physicality, and Derek Tyndall I think, probably a bit of the same. Uh, so do you think that's maybe a referee is adjusting to how coach Leonard is coaching the defensive backs. Or do you think that's, that could be a legitimate concern moving forward
0: at this point? I'm inclined to chalk it up to learning on the fly for these guys. As you said, adjusting to the speed and the physicality of the game. I remember Sojourn Shelton played as a true freshman, started as a true freshman at cornerback a number of years ago, and they played Arizona state on the road, the infamous Joel Stave kneel down game. But, uh, I won't go any further into that in case any Badgers fans are crying about that. But, uh, you know, Sojourn really struggled in that game. I distinctly remember that. And he was a freshman, and it was really new to him. And, of course, he became an All-Big Ten defensive back and and started a bunch of games. And so I think a lot of it is just learning how to play the position at this level. And you mentioned guys like Hicks and Wild Goose. First year playing college football, like legitimate reps and – same thing with a number of the other guys. So, I'm I'm not that concerned about, you know, being flagged for penalties and holding and pass interference because I think those are things that you learn from. And if it is a continuing issue this year, then, you know, who better to address it than Jim Leonard and get somebody else in and and teach these guys to be better.
1: Justin, man, we always love having you on. It uh, in, in, in podcasts past. Uh, maybe not necessarily Bucky's fifth podcast, since, since this is relatively new. But we've loved having you on all of our podcasts that we've had on Bucky's fifth quarter. What's coming up for you uh, for the athletic, and and what's going forward with uh, pro day? Obviously, is tomorrow, but then also uh, spring football coming up in in about two weeks.
0: Yeah, well, um, I don't know you know when this will when this will run, but I have a story this week, a uh, basketball story on on Ethan Happ and where he ranks in the pantheon of the greatest. Uh, Badgers basketball players in program history, and and as you said, I'll be out at pro day covering that, and um, yeah, just working on working on some other stories for football and basketball, but certainly looking forward to spring practice getting going. I can't believe it's already been two and a half months since the end of the season. I'm I'm ready to see some live football, even if it's uh, even if it's spring practice. I think we'll learn a lot about where some of these guys stand.
1: Jesse, man, we'd love to have you back on uh, coming up down the road with more spring football observations, man. Uh, but just uh, have a good night and well, and I'll catch you tomorrow.
0: All right. Thanks guys. Take care. Yeah. Thanks Jesse.
1: Guys, it's Jesse temple from the athletic. We're gonna take a quick break, come back, wrap up the show here on Bucky's fifth podcast.
2: I'm Alex
0: Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg.
1: And that's a wrap on another edition of the show this week. You know what? We're going to drop this probably Friday morning, even though we recorded this on Tuesday. So let's hope there's no breaking news between now and Friday morning or late Thursday. We'll do this late Thursday night. We'll drop this late Thursday night for you guys. Uh, But tomorrow we'll have a podcast. Uh, You guys will hear it obviously beforehand, uh, but make sure you check out this week's podcast. Owen and I will have a pro day one that'll be up before this one. We also have Brian Butch with talking Big Ten basketball, Big Ten tournament, the Wisconsin Badgers, Ethan Hap's legacy. That was a great talk. I had a lot of fun with him. And really, you know, Owen, as we wrap up this episode, where can people find us on, you know, on all the social media?
2: You can find uh, Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Um, you can follow. First of all, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter—all that good stuff. Uh, you can find uh, follow us on Twitter at B5Q. Uh, you can follow Jake on Twitter at JakeCocoB5Q. Uh, you can follow me at Reese Draft R I E S E Draft, uh, and also uh, you can follow our buddy Jesse, who was gracious enough to come on with us today, at Jesse Temple on Twitter. Um, the podcast itself, you can find us Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else. Uh, where you can find podcasts. We're uh, starting to, like I said, we're growing. We're trying to, to diversify a bit. So uh, you can find us anywhere uh, that you find podcasts. And uh, grateful that you listen uh, to us talk about the Badgers. So,
1: real quick, what type of reviews can we we ask you guys for those reviews, those feedback? What type of reviews?
2: Five star frog splash reviews.
1: That's Five right.
2: Reviews only. Uh, <laughs> we got kids to feed.
1: That's true. And uh, we do thank you guys. We've, we've upped the number of, of reviews we've actually gotten. So thank you guys and shout out to JP Badger boy uh, for the review back in early March. Much appreciated. We thank you for that. And for Owen Reese, for Jesse temple, I am Jay Kokorowski. We're going to catch you guys uh, coming up again. Lots going on this month, spring football, NCAA tournament. You'll hear more coming up sometime soon on Bucky's. 5th Podcast.